Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I just think it's enticement. It's not rocket science. It can be done. I truly believe it can. It's wanton destruction. It's also illegal. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. I had a lovely start to my day. Two lovely starts to my day, actually. Two little things that happened. And it put me in a humour to ask you about the lovely thing that can start your day. Like that little win that starts the day. Fergal Barry came in this morning with that big wide smile on his face that only tells me, and I know him so long, he woke up before the alarm. For Fergal, that's like getting a match five in the lottery. (laughs) And I knew this morning by the look in his face when he came in, he woke up before the alarm. That's a big one for him. And Terry was telling me when he came in that he got in all the way from the South Link Road into 96 without hitting one traffic light. That, 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 that's a win. That doesn't happen very often, so it doesn't. I had two little wins this morning. And I'll tell you about them later on. But I want to know what your one was. What little thing happened this morning to make it a good day? Or any given morning that you like to make it a good day? Could be a nice sunrise, although we didn't see too much of that this morning. Uh, could be getting up and realising oh bugger I've got to walk now but it's actually dry and it's nice and it's mild and for the first time this year you can go maybe without a jacket or a light jacket all those little things that make you make your day they're, they're, they're lovely things I'll come back to them I'll come back to them as we, as we go on through the morning but first of all uh, there's also things that kind of ruin your day Um, Like, for example, when you're outside your 5K for the first time since Christmas and you can get yourself a takeaway coffee or maybe a takeaway sandwich and you're walking around and you really, really need to have a chat with nature. Um, And Mother Nature is screaming at you for a chat with her. And there's nowhere to go. Angela, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. What happened? Well, on Sunday, uh, we decided to go to the Hall Bowling Amenity Park. I had yeah. been looking forward to it for ages. 
because uh, I'd heard about it and that. So we went along and have to say it didn't disappoint. Beautiful, beautiful area. But uh, there was a big enough crowd now. It was early enough. It was around 12 o'clock on Sunday, midday. And um, we arrived. A lot of cars there. The car park was literally full. So uh, I reckon it holds roughly maybe 80 cars. So we walked around the area. I found that it was just so uh, informative. You know, where you could see Spike Island so near. Yeah. Look across I, the I haven't been there yet, Angela. I hear it. And it's only a short drive from where I live. It's, it's supposed to be lovely. It's lovely now. It's so, so well laid out, you yeah. know. Yeah. And, you know, you have the little um, information boards uh, explaining about Spike Island, about Spit Lighthouse, about Irish Steel. Really lovely mm. and lovely flat areas as well for children to play. So we walked around the whole area and read all the notice boards and all. And on the way back, it hadn't decided whether we'd get coffee or not, but it looked like a lovely little coffee coffee um, takeaway place there. But toilets locked, a big lock on the toilets. I couldn't believe it. I just thought for such a lovely immunity and people out now for maybe the first time in ages. And just nowhere to go to the toilet. And, and, and are they that. public toilets? I would imagine they are. They, council um, toilets, uh, like. Council yeah. toilets, exactly. They are council toilets, yeah. So, so many small children and all the, look, the whole range of people from, from small children to quite elderly people. And I just felt it was, I, for such an, a new up-to-date um, park, mm. not to have the toilets open, I couldn't believe it. So what did you do? It's not, it's not like you can jump behind the fence, like. <laughs> that is quite open. <laughs> That's what I meant. It's not like Gary Duff Woods or somewhere like. <laughs> no. I'll be back in a minute. Hold <laughs> <laughs> <All> me <my> shoes. <laughs> yeah, and sure. Where do you go then um, when you're driving out past the crematorium and all the way back? There's actually no. There's, there's no nowhere. Yeah. Actually nowhere. So we drove to Carrigaline to a garage. Mm. To be honest. Praying um, that you won't get caught in traffic on the way. That's it. That, yeah, that's absolutely it. So um, there's no pain quite I, like it, is there? Pardon? There's no pain quite like it. Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> Not many, anyway. Um, so look, that's what we did. I just felt I needed to highlight it, PJ, yeah. because um, I, I can't understand why. I just yeah. can't understand why. But I, as you may have seen that from my email, we, we proceeded on. Kinsale. Yes, yes. And Kinsale is so lovely. Now, Sunday uh, wasn't a great day, but there was a nice few people around. And um, at another stage in the afternoon, uh, needed to use the toilet. And um, the public toilets, I felt there, were absolutely disgraceful. There were, in the ladies, anyway, uh, three toilets, one completely blocked. Mm. The floor was absolutely drenched. The whole complete floor inside was, uh, it was just full of water. Are they the ones and down there by the, the bus stop? Yeah, by the, the tourist. Um, oh, yeah. They're know, never, yeah. They were never great, to be fair. Right. And I wasn't quite sure of the other one. That I, I actually saw another one later on, up, up further, the one that you go in and it closes and it self-cleans. I wasn't aware that, that was there at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I... Look, we left Kinsale, I'd say, about a little after three o'clock, maybe half three, and there was about a mile of a tailback of cars going in. 
which meant that there's going to be a huge amount of people around and all at some stage needing a toilet and with everywhere closed, there's nowhere you can go. Yeah, there's there's, no a, there's one of these either. self-cleaning ones that looks like a small spaceship. Is, don't yeah, yeah, but you'd be afraid. I, 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 I'm always afraid. Way. I'm always afraid of getting into them things when we get locked inside yeah, in it. That's right. It's up towards the Acton's Hotel there. Yeah, I only spotted that later. Yeah, but I just needed to highlight that PJ. I felt, but I, the, you know, the, the immunity park. I have no idea. But like at least that one was open in Kinsale. But the immunity park one, I have no idea why it would be locked. Or has it ever been open? I don't know. Yeah. Like, it looks quite rusty, the, the lock and stuff, you know. I'm hearing a small voice in the back of my head saying, level five, level five, level five. I have a funny feeling that those council toilets are closed under level five. But then the ones in sale are open. Yes. Yeah. And I know the one in Cove Town is open as well. Yeah. You know, and why have a have a facility open if if they can't provide a toilet? You, you, do you know what I mean? I do. Why is the park open if they can't provide? Especially like there's there's coffee facilities there, and yeah. that, you know if people are sitting out having coffee. Usually, people need to go to the toilets later. Yes, yes, and there's little pop up coffee places all over the gaff now. All over the place, and there's one on, on the entrance to to the. Um, that area as well, further out on the main road, you know, Ring Skiddy. Just before you turn in towards the, the amenity park, there's also another coffee coffee um, place out there. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, and I know there's no toilets out there either. Yeah. But um, I just felt I needed to highlight it, Peter. No, <laughs> and thank you for it. And thank you for the email to Opinion e because it does, we've got lots of people like you ringing us up every day. And moreover, now that you can get out of the 5K and you can go somewhere new for a walk or a stroll. and I know, yeah. yeah. And it, it, it absolutely didn't disappoint. You know, it's, it's absolutely lovely for any age group, you know. Yeah. I saw little children uh, playing football with, their, with themselves and with their parents. Uh, poking the ball around. Mm. You know, I haven't been down that. there. I really must take a trip. I believe it's yeah. so lovely. They've done a great well job. Well worth it. it. And, and I'd say even for history, and uh, you know, they, they, they're very mindful as well. There are certain areas that they, they don't cut the grass, small areas for, you know, for biodiversity. For oh, the wildflowers and all that. Yeah, the bees, the yeah. yeah it's, it's so well thought out. It's really, really lovely. Lovely to see that. I haven't, I, I said, I haven't been down there yet. That's lovely. That's lo- and a great view of Cove, I think, from it, is there? Fabulous view of Cove, yeah. Absolutely beautiful view of Cove, yeah. yeah. And right. Spike Island and out the harbour. You know. Fabulous, fabulous. All right. Well, at least you had a good day only for only spoiled by the lack of a <laughs> toilet there and the manky one in Kinsale. That's it, PJ. Absolutely, yeah. So maybe if, if you get on to the town council, they may be able to shed some light on it or when will, will they be open or, or that, you know? I'm sure someone will tell us. Angela, thanks very much for your email to opinion at 96fm.ie. And that new place in Hall Bolan, packed, but no toilet. And then conceal, toilet open, toilet manky. Now, I don't know what the situation is with regard to council toilets under level five. I'm, I'm very sure that the executive research desk can find out uh, if they are open. Uh, are they open under level five? For example, are the, town, are the toilets open in Fountainstown? Are the toilets open in, uh, what's the other place, Gary Vaux? There's a council toilet there. Are they open? I don't know. I wonder. 
Can anyone enlighten us as to whether it is to do with level five that all the toilets are still closed? Kate, it happened to us and we were told the toilets were closed because of COVID. Now, I'm sorry, but quite apart from answering the call of nature, if ever there was a time when we needed a place to wash our hands, it's during a pandemic. But on a side note, the guys have an easier time with this than the girls. I was on a bus once travelling to a place and there was a group of fellas plaguing the driver to stop to use the toilet. He pulled over and as they started, he drove off. Oh, no! <laughs> 1850-715-996. Line two, Richard. Hey, Richard, what's up? Hi, Pete. How are you going, boy? Not bad. Listen, I'm only ringing because in the, in the vain, vain, vain hope that some TDD or senior councillor or somebody is listening might say, he's right. I went down to the Provident TSB Bank in Blackpool yesterday. To the where, Rich? Provident TSB Bank oh, in yeah. Blackpool. Oh, No, doing nothing. I mean, I'm okay with computers and, and, and using machines. I don't have a problem with that. But listen, boy. I was listening. There was elderly people there who were lost. Lost because no one behind the counters anymore. That's all gone now. Yeah, they were lost. They were little children, and it's it was. I I tell you, boy, I felt absolutely horrible because there's a, le- a lady there helping them. Don't get me wrong; she was doing a great job running around, but she was like as if she was like a lion tamer in in the most lions, and the and the owners of the lions have gone on holidays. You get my drift? I do. I do. So I she do. Ha- she had to. Bear the brunt, and I felt sorry for him, though she did a great job. And what but, was it? There was no, no counter staff. And no, no, all gone, all gone. Yeah. And, the, and that's with most banks. And the only thing that was there was the two bank machines, and even one of them wasn't working. So you can imagine the mayhem. Uh, what I'm trying to say is, by it's okay for the likes of me. I'm only 60 odd. I can manage computers. I can do all that. I can do That's okay. Yeah. But there's a 90% of the population have no idea how to use, they don't even know what a computer is. I mean, that's a bit overstatement, like, but you understand no, I get your point, I get your point. They, they don't even have a computer. They prefer to I go mean, into the bank, like they always did. Yeah, yeah this, this little old lady, and I'm not, I don't know who she is, and I feel oh, so sorry for her. She was just going in to pay a few bob off a credit card she has. That's how she does it. She goes to the, yeah. to the counter, and you want to take some money, she goes very happy. She hadn't a clue... What to do? The woman had to sit her down on the place where there was a phone to ring someone, and then the poor lady was calling, just asking, "I can't understand what she's saying. What do I do?" Do you know what I'm getting at? I do. I at do. this stage of her life, it's just not acceptable. The taxpayer has propped up these bloody banks, mm-hmm. and yet they're they're telling us what they want to do, not the other way around. Yeah, yeah. It's just not on by. There's another lady came in. I don't know who she is or what she was doing, but she needs to draw some money out, maybe for a loan or maybe to pay a bill. But it was more than what she's allowed to draw from the machines. Yes. So she had, she was told then, sorry, it's a bank, but we don't give you any money anymore. You'll have to go to Paddock Street. Yeah, there's a couple of them around now. They're called, believe it or not, Rich, cashless banks. I have no idea what it means. And there's another one as well, banks that don't take coins anymore. Correct, there was a sign-up. There was actually a sign-up saying no coins here anymore. I mean, come on, boy. I mean, it's, it's, it's just not acceptable. I'm sorry, it's, it's my, uh, people might say it's more important thing to be worried about. Well, but well you know what, Richard? I, I disagree with those people. If you're, if you're 80 odd, yeah. and you don't have a computer, yeah. and you don't have a smartphone, yeah. and you don't have much money either, but anyway, that's not the point. 
what, what are you supposed to do? You see, I, you know when you say there are other people will say there's more important. I disagree with those people because if, if that little bit of money is all you have and you want to pay a gas bill or do some groceries and, and like that woman pay her bit and she can't do it. And people who are a little bit older, they, they, they worry an awful lot about money and they worry about a tenner like some people worry about ten grand. And if they can't get that tenner to pay that little bill, that ruins their day. That elderly woman, now, who was obviously in her late 80s, would have to traipse from Blackpool into Patrick Street to pay maybe a 10 or, or a 20 euro off of, uh, an old credit card she has. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, the... it's just, I'm sorry, boy. I, I've seen some things in, in the world and murders and mayhems and all that, and I just think we're just getting to the point where the human is no longer important. Do you know what? That's a very good way to finish because you have a very strong, strong point. Richard, thanks. 1850-715-996. Happening all over the place now. Your bank doesn't want to know about cash, doesn't want to know about coins especially. There aren't such things as cashless banks. Happened to the Queen Bee a year and a bit ago now. Um, We wanted to pay someone a bit of cash that we owed him and a friend of the family. And she went to the bank to get it out. And she was told, well, this is actually a cashless bank. Ah, what, says she? A cashless bank, says your man. You'll have to go out to Wilton and they'll give it to you there. And I thought, bank is where you put your money. So they mind your money. So why can't you get your money back out? Cashless bank, the new thing. Coinless bank. Don't get me started about coinless banks. And now you have people who, they used to use the ATM or... They can't use the ATM, they can't use computers. Where are they supposed to go? Are they supposed to traipse into Patrick Street now to do these things? And, and Richard is right. Richard is right. We shoveled taxpayers' money into these places and we'll be shoveling our children's tax into these places for generations to come. And this is how they treat people. 1857 <laughs> PJ, my small win is when I put the charger lead into my phone the right way around. Oh, the little you. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. I know people broken. Yes. 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 <laughs> loads, loads, loads of comments on toilets. Apparently, poor old Angela's been unlucky with her toilet experience. I'll get to that in a sec. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. All the stars on one show. This is Dara Lipa. Hi, this is Tiesto. Hi, this is Shane Khan. Hey, this is Anne-Marie. Hey, it's me, Justin Bieber. This is Joe Corey. I go by the name of The weekend. Get your new music fix on Cork's 96FM's Hit Mix. Cork's 96FM's Hit Mix. Hey, I'm Dermot Kennedy. Yo, what's up, it's your boy KSI. Yo, what's good, Universe? It's 24K Golden. I'm Miley Cyrus. Hi, we're Picture This. This is Medusa. The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks. On your radio, weeknights from 8. Don't, don't, don't stop, 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 And streaming online all the time on your phone, smart speaker, or at 96fm.ie. Angela says, hi PJ, I was in Kinsale at the weekend too. That public toilet, the one you pay for, is charging a euro a time. That's a disgrace. I never came across a toilet charging that much. Should be only 20 cents. Is it a diamond-encrusted throne inside in that flipping place? A euro! Stop spending a penny. 
Baldy Barber says if people are getting services for any liquids, there should be toilets. It's only right. Toilet is open in y'all. Stay safe. And says, I'm sure that amenity in Hall Bolin is under Cove Municipal District. That's why the toilets and the bins at one stage aren't open. But there are toilets are open in Cove, we're being told. And on the other hand, Gary Vaux, the toilets are open and spotless all year round. Jars and Grange, there's a self-cleaning toilet in Fountainstown. It's free and it's open. Toilets are also open in Tremore Valley Park. Uh, go to the toilet before you leave home, says Michael. And practice doing it into a bottle in the privacy of your own home and bring a cap for the bottle. Okay. <laughs> Needs must, I suppose, Michael. Paul says the toilets in Cove have been open all the time and they're spotless, which doesn't explain then if the toilets, the new toilets on Hall Bolin are under Cove Municipal District, why they're not open. Where was I? Simon is in Timmeleague. Uh, public toilets open at the moment and spotless, a credit to the county council workers who maintain them. Anne is living in Cloyne, goes to Gary Hall regularly and have been there since the 5k was lifted. Those toilets are all open down there. 1850 on the banks. Yeah, I'll come back to those ones on the banks. I'm interested in knowing though what it is that makes your day because I mentioned it at the top of the programme. I came in this morning and Fergal's got that smile and right across his face that says he woke up before the alarm. You know the small things you take pleasure in. I was thinking about it. I had a lovely start to my day. Two actually. I'll tell you about the second one later on. But um, I got the bus. I get the bus now Mondays and Tuesdays. It's just a thing. It, it suits the way the, the cars are used at home. And I, I, I love it on these bright mornings. Get the bus. And I'm well served, as you know. I said it before. I'm well served by the 220 and the 216 anyway. So one of them will always come. But... um. Just this morning, I was headed across for a bus that I'd normally get at 10 to 7 and looked at my watch leaving the house. Oh, look, it's only 20 to 7. So I, I toddled across anyway. And the bus came at quarter to 7, the earlier bus. And it's only five minutes. But it's five minutes. Like, that five minutes was, when I got in, a, a stroll across town. And I'd stroll across town every morning. It's only 10 minutes from Grand Parade up to here. But, like, I had time to, to get a coffee. Uh, on the way and enjoy that and and then I saw the city waking up again you'd see it every morning but when you have that five minutes early you know I saw the city waking up saw a bit of power washing going on there was a couple of fellas in Oliver Plunker Street in unloading loads of heavy tools to do what looked like put a new sign on a shop and just loads of people going about their business and Something else you notice as well, and like I said now, it's, it's Monday and Tuesday mornings I do it now. Like, you start noticing in that couple of minutes that some faces are becoming a little bit familiar. And that people nod at each other, total strangers nod at each other in that couple of precious minutes. And you just arrive a bit more chilled and a bit more relaxed. Kind of made the day for me. Kind of made the day, so it did. 1850-715-996. I'd love to hear yours. I'd love to hear your little win. Coming up, a woman just back from Turkey where she was having a major operation that opened the door to a whole new future. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. 
Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Right, sorry for the butterfingers there. But um, as I said, this woman just back from Turkey where she was having an operation. Surgery has been a major success. And for Claire Desmond, it opens the door to something so ordinary, so simple, something we all do without even thinking about it too much, that she's never been able to do. You'll hear about that in a little bit. But at the start of 2021, Claire Desmond from Bandon weighed 28 stone. And she saw a television show that shocked her into a realisation that she could end up dependent on her children for little things, simple little things like washing herself. And she didn't obviously want anything to do with that. She wanted to avoid that at all costs. And she was terrified of this surgery in Turkey, but off she went anyway. And she's back and she's been quarantining. Um, But she spoke to me about this last evening. Claire, good to speak with you. This is not a decision that anybody makes lightly. And I think you were very scared about the prospect of doing it. But you still went ahead. Why was that? Well, you know, I think the the main word here is like desperation. You know, I was desperate for a solution. Um, I was very desperate. I just knew, you know, that I was at a point in my life where... I could feel it. I could feel the weight just smothering me, really smothering me, smothering my personality, um, my, you know, um, my dreams and my aspirations and how it was affecting my well-being in my own family life day to day. It's an interesting term that you use, smothering you. Like, how long have you battled with your weight, Claire? God, a long time. Like, I was... I would I would have been a heavy teenager, you know. I would have been overweight as a teenager. My mum and dad always used to say that when I got my tonsils out, I started eating like a horse, so to speak. And, you know, the, the weight piled on. Um, from the age, I remember being um, 13, starting secondary school and having to get, like, you know, a bigger size and get a piece put into the, the uniform. So that kind of goes to show like that I carried weight for most of my teenage life and then it just it just got worse. That must have been hard as a little girl, was it? Very hard. Um, you know, especially at that age, like you're you're going up the terrace and you're hanging with your friends and you know, you're you're you know, you might like a boy or you know, hoping they like you and I was always the friend. I was never the the teenager with a boyfriend like or had attention come at me you know I was the, the chubby girl that was just fun I wasn't the girl for material you know I didn't have your typical teenage experience and having all these boys asking you out and all that like I was very alone like and I felt I felt very ugly 
looking back on it now, the way we look back on our teens now, we thought there were ordinary parts of our teens, but actually there were troubled times. Would you have thought there were troubled years? They were very troubled years. Um, you know, there was a lot of fat shaming. Um, going back then as well, I could walk up the terrace and, you know, somebody could shout across the terrace, here comes Fatty, you know. That's got to hurt. Oh my God, I just wanted to crumble. Let the ground open up and take me because I was just so embarrassed. Mm. And I already felt, you know, very, I had low self-esteem, low confidence already. And that just made matters worse. I just, I used to look, I was living in a bungalow at the bottom of a terrace so I could always see you know, the area where everybody hung out. And I used to sit at the window and wait for those people, the particular um, guys that were shaming me to be gone in home. And is that one of the reasons why people sometimes develop a, a very, I suppose, caustic sense of humour, a defence mechanism? You, you become the funny kid, but there's a reason for it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Like, I, I became the, the funny girl. Like, I was, and I still am to this day, like, hmm. I, I'm the joker. But it's it's a defense mechanism, 100%, because, you know, people are laughing at you. You can either cry or laugh at, laugh with them. And I certainly wasn't going to cry and show them that it, it, it had such an impact on me. I was going to laugh with them and laugh about myself. Hmm. You know, you just learn that defense mechanism, definitely. And I suppose you probably tried every diet under the sun, did you? Oh, listen, there's so many diets out there now. Um, you know, like Slimmy World, Unislim, Weight Watchers. Like, they do work. And, you know, I never said anything about them. They always worked for me short term, hmm. but not long term. There was never a point where I could keep something going for more than a year. You know, I went back to emotional eating when things got tough or, you know, stressful situations at home. I just ate and it never was a long-term fix for me. You were a comfort eater. Oh, massive comfort eater. Yeah, yeah, very, very much. Um, Like I could go all day and not eat, you know, but then in the evening I would say, right, I want to take away and I'd order pizza and chips, you know, and I'd stuff my face like with those pizza and chips and you know, a couple of cans of Diet Coke and Diet Coke and Coke was my biggest downfall. Yeah. Um, and Red Bull and all of those kind of things that aren't very good for you. But it was the fact that when I did eat, I was always eating the wrong foods. I was going for the quick fix, mm. you know. And and nothing nothing seemed to work. I, I'll get to the operation in a minute because that must have been a daunting trip in itself. But But it was a television show that gave you the idea. Now, it's a show that I've seen, you yes. know, but, but that was the one that gave you the idea. Why? Well, I was watching it for a long time and I always had this thing in my head, God, I'm not as big as them, you know, I'm not. My 600 pound life or something. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, my 600 pound life. And I was thinking, God, I'm not that big, you know. Now, this is going back to last January before COVID hit and I was thinking, God, you know, I'm 23 stone now. That's not too bad. That's about, you know, 290, 300 pounds. Okay, I'm halfway to where they are. I'm not even near them. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to get the weight down. Roll on less than a year later and I'm five stone up. Five stone in less than a year, like during the pandemic. And, you know, we all have put on weight during the pandemic. Oh, yeah. But for a person that's already morbidly obese, to put on an additional five stone, it took that huge impact. It had a massive impact on my my well-being. 
And there was one particular episode that made really hit home. Um, because when I had weighed myself, it was that particular morning, I was like 390 pounds. And I was watching the 600 pound life and I thought, God, I'm only 200 pounds away from here. Like I'm 200 pounds. I could put that on in the next year. I was able to put on five stone in a year, mm. the year just gone. So it really kind of opened my eyes. And in particular, there was a scene and it just really made me so sad. And it was a 10 year old boy washing his mother's back in, in the bath because she couldn't reach it. And like, it just, I, I was very emotional and my husband was looking at me going, you're all right. And I just thought, you know, like I have Jack who has, you know, as you know, complex needs and he needs care for the rest of his life. Um, but then I have Charlie, who's only three years of age, who already will probably feel a responsibility towards caring for Jack as he gets older, who then may have to help me. He could, that boy in 600 pound life could be Charlie. Could that that I might need that in the future if I keep going the way I'm going. And and Claire, you were at that stage, twenty eight stone, like trying to yeah. mine two smallies with twenty eight stone. Oh, you know, and run a centre. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's. I think you know what what kept me going was Red Bull. So what kept me going was killing me. More sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and food in the evenings comforting me the aches and the pains I was feeling after the day um, you know I did like I looked after them well but I would suffer so much physically in the evening I would always have back pain I'm always on anti-inflammatories leg pains you know arm pains you name it like I would ache from head to toe every evening every day and um, my husband would come home and I'm just exhausted I just want to go to bed yeah. Physically, physically exhausted, not mentally. From dragging yourself around. Yeah, dragging 28 stone on my ankles, you know. Yeah. So, come to the point where you decided, right, I'm going for this operation and I'm going to go to Turkey. How, how did you arrive at that decision and why Turkey? Well, a couple of years back after I had the, the TIA, the, the mini stroke. Oh yeah, I forgot that. Yeah, um, I was very lucky that time. Um, you know, I was a heavy smoker. I was carrying maybe 22 stone at the time, if not less. And I thought, right, I need to do something about it. So I remember I had my health insurance at work and I, I went to um, call him a boy, you know, in, in the bonds. I went to get an appointment with him. Mm. But I just didn't, do you know what? I didn't follow through. I don't think that I really was able to process the impact my weight was having on me and how important it is to do something, get some medical intervention. So I, I kind of dropped that and over the years, and it was always on my mind. And it was my sister inviting me to a biatric group in January this year. Hmm. And I thought, oh, sure, she must be thinking of getting it done herself, which she is. Um, so I, I was reading their stories and I thought, wow, Jesus, this really does work. Like mm. there's a lot of, you know, positives here. So I looked into, I was asking a few questions in the group and I said, is there anybody in Ireland that will do it? My health insurance, obviously, I finished work uh, about two years ago, so I didn't have really health insurance that would cover it. And there was one doctor up in, I think, Kilkenny that would do the surgery for seven and a half thousand. Mm. And I thought, okay, that's not, you know, it's a lot, but it's not a lot really in, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. 
So I had reached out and made an appointment with him. And in the meantime, uh, through a friend, um, somebody local here in the town had went to Turkey, came back, used transformation over a couple of months. And I reached out to her just to kind of have a chat. Hmm. And she was just absolutely amazing. Um, told me that she was treated like a queen. It's the best decision she ever made. And it was only 3,400 without flights. Um, so you're talking the bones of less than 4,000, you know, to go to Turkey, get your procedure and come home. So initially I I reached out to the clinic, Kelser, that she had went to just as a kind of an inquiry. But deep down in my gut, I knew this was going to happen. I yeah. just knew it. I was ready, you know. Um, I was ready. And there was an English-speaking patient coordinator and she was just fan- fabulous. Very caring lady, Aisha. And she was just, you know, this is the cost. This is what you get. Here are the forms. And I'd say the next day I booked it. I just said, right. I came home and spoke to my husband, obviously, you know, to make sure he was okay. And like, he was very supportive as he always is. He knows that if I make a decision, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And I'm doing it for the right reasons, you know, with the risks and all involved. And they're considerable, aren't they? Oh, the risks are considerable. Yeah. Well, I spoke to my own GP as well. And she said, if I were you, I'd weigh up the pros and cons. And she said, there's risks with every surgery. Obviously, there's more risks because you're morbidly obese. But she said the risks are higher if I didn't have the surgery for me. Mm. For heart attack or diabetes or high blood pressure, the risks were certainly higher if I didn't have the surgery. So how long ago is it since you had the surgery now, Claire? Three weeks today, Monday. Three weeks. And... In that three weeks, how has life changed in terms of what you can eat? Like the pizza and chips, I take it, is gone like. <laughs> They're a distant memory. Um, I was prepared for it, but I really don't think that I was prepared for the change in my eating habits. Not that, you know, like I didn't even, I don't have an option to eat chips and pizza. I just don't because I suppose... With the surgery, like you're on a particular strict diet for six weeks after. So it's like a little baby's tummy being weaned off the milk. So are you on liquids or what at the moment? Yeah. So I did two weeks liquids and that was just protein shakes. And then I had to move on to the puree stage, as we all know, with the babies. Um, and, you know, you're just so excited. I was so excited to get onto the puree stage. Like mushy peas, you know, blended, mmm, anything. Just give me food. <laughs> you know, and you think like, oh, that sounds disgusting. But when you're, when you're, you're starving, but not starving, but it's more head hunger at the start. You're like, I need food, you know. Yeah. Like, has your appetite changed? Is it smaller already? It's smaller. So when they, the gastric sleeve is, they take 85% of your stomach pouch away. And what happens is it takes the hunger hormone, that percentage of the hunger hormone out as well. So not only has your taste changed, your taste buds, things I once liked, totally just dislike now, um, your hunger um, messages in your brain change. So I would forget to eat, you know, unless I have a timer on my phone. Because I don't feel hunger at any stage. Right. At all. Right. Which is a big change. 
a massive change. Um, I'm just constantly sipping away in water and, you know, juices like Vitits and things like that, you know, vitamin drinks, low calories. And um, now I've introduced a little bit of puree. So I'm on a little bit of like tuna with light mayo. So I might have one top biscuit and tuna light mayo nice. for lunch. A protein shake in the morning for my breakfast. And I actually have a bowl of blended um, seafood chowder in front of me here now for my dinner dinner this evening. And and how long will it be before you can actually stick a fork into something? They say never to use forks, really, that you should use a teaspoon. Because for every bite I take, I should be chewing for 20 seconds. And then once I've swallowed it, there needs to be a 20-second break because my stomach pouch is so small now. I can only take like half a teaspoon to a teaspoon of food at a time. So I have to chew it for 20, wait for 20, and I might get two to three teaspoons of food in and that's it. I'm full. Wow. That's all I can fit. And can I ask the obvious question? I know it's only three weeks ago, but has the weight started to go down? Um, I actually put up a before and after picture of myself um, in a group yesterday. And the difference, uh, I certainly can share it with you if you want to put it up on your page or anything. But the difference in three weeks, I'm down three stone. Good Lord. I know. I'm even shocked myself. I never envisaged such a big weight loss so soon, so short, you know. And how are you feeling? I feel amazing. Mm. Like, like, are you sore after that surgery? Yeah, I suppose it's very similar to anybody that got the, ga- the gallbladder removed, you know, um, by keyhole. It's a very similar healing process after it. Right. I had no complications, thank God. You know, there is complications people can get, but they're they're very manageable. And um, I was a little bit sore, you know, for the first week, but you had painkillers. And I'm going around looking after the kids and cleaning the house and doing my bits and pieces. Um yeah. The last few days. And and have you got energy? I mean, when you're eating so little, you do you, do you have energy? I do. I have bouts and bouts of energy. I'm not drinking coffee. Caffeine is one of those things where, you know, it'll dehydrate you and you'll already struggle to get water intake, you know, because you can only drink, your stomach will only hold so much as such. So, like, for somebody that went from being a caffeine addict hmm. to, you know, to having absolutely nothing, and having more energy than what I've ever had before in my life. Um, I'm just constantly on a high, PJ. I'm full of energy. I think I'd be more worried about losing coffee out of my life than all the surgery. (laughs) So was I. Oh, yeah. I absolutely dreaded giving up the caffeine. Um, I really did. But the first few weeks, they were right. It was hard in the morning smelling it. Um, I did get uh, decaf. I'm allowed decaf. And I was able to kind of still get the taste, you know, mm. in the morning to replace it. But um, it's just, I, I wake up now in the morning and like I used to wake up going, oh, give me coffee, no one talk to me. Now I'm like, good morning, everybody. I'm just full of beans. I think the last few days I definitely turned over a new leaf, you know. It just takes a few weeks to get settled in. And um, I... The energy is just fantastic. I'm on a multivitamin, obviously, daily. Yeah. And for the rest of my life, I need to be on vitamins. And um, I have a B12 patch and all these kind of um, necessary, you know, vitamin intake. Like, mm. um, So I'm fine for energy and 
stuff like that. This sounds like the awful question that they ask at a job interview. Where do you see yourself in 12 months' time? I see myself in pennies, PJ, buying a size 12. <laughs> do you know, I've never been able to pick up anything in Primark or Dunn stores or any of the high street shops. Hmm. I'd always need to go to like, you know, the curved section of New Look or Evans or yours, Cody, online. I've never been able to go into a shop and buy an outfit. And how much will that mean to you, Claire, to take a pair of jeans off a rack? My God. You know, PJ, just so much. Like, I even get emotional thinking about it. Just being able to go in and pick up a pair of jeans at a top and be comfortable yeah. in my own skin and not break the bank. Like, you know, a pair of jeans would cost me 40 to 50 euros yeah. because of the size. Um, I'd probably have the best wardrobe in town anyway, that's for sure. <laughs> but at the, you know, I just see myself being happier and healthier. And I have so many aspirations and things I want to do in life. Yeah. And my weight has held me back for so long. And I'm, I'm just, it's not going to anymore. It really isn't. It was obviously worth overcoming the fear and getting on that plane. It was. It was. It really, really was. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked before, Claire, about the centre, Jack and friends. Uh, how's Jack for a start and how's the centre going? Well, Jack is great. Um, he's back to school, which I know we spoke before. It was Jack was going through a very hard time during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, as we all were, you know, trying to support him. And, you know, he was doing a lot of self-harming. Um, that has, I'm delighted to say, decreased. Uh, if it's, it's not even existent, really anymore um, so we were all in a very good place when I chose to go for surgery obviously Jack was in a good place school has definitely helped um, obviously we have future worries as you know yourself you're speaking to mums on the campaign with myself yeah. to secure special secondary school places and that's a future worry for me hmm. uh, one of the reasons why I'm kind of driving it further because you know, our children's future is just so important. Mm. Um, and parents of care are going through a hard time at the moment. Yeah. The school leavers. But anyway, Jack is doing really well. He's in a really good place. Um, the centre is doing well. You know, I, I have worries. You know, we don't receive funding, PJ, as you know. It's very much through fundraising in the community. And even we can't do that now. And we're just covering the rent. And I mean scraping it mm. every month. We don't have paid staff or anything. So our overheads really are just rent and, you know, utilities. And it's just, it's a tough, it's a tough, tough gig at the moment. You have more energy to tackle it now than you had a month ago, though. I do. You know, PJ, I haven't had the confidence and the self-esteem to go out and, you know, really put myself out there in the centre um, and, you know, go into corporate funding and, you know, all that. I haven't had the confidence. I'm great on the phone, but when it comes to face to face, my weight has held me back. That's going to change now. It is. I see you'll have to wait now and watch me in the dial now in a couple of years' time. <laughs> I'll be sitting up there next to Michael Collins. We were playing. <laughs> Claire, it's, it's great to talk to you and I wish you well. And I wish, obviously, the centre and Jack and all his friends well too. But it's been a most interesting conversation and thank you. Thanks, PJ, for having me. She's great. She is great. Uh, great to talk to you. That's uh, and look before. We should always kind of say these things. If you're going to consider anything like that, at least talk to your doctor first. Don't just do it off the bat. 
uh, talk to someone. 1850-715-996. Very quickly before we go to the news, Breda, the AstraZeneca vaccine has now been given out to people between the age of 60 and 69 only. And it concerns you a bit, Breda, does it? Good morning. Yes, good morning. Big time, I'm terrified of it. Why? Um, you know, all I'm hearing on the radio about it and the cats and all this, you know, there was never a mention of anything with the Pfizer one or... Yeah. You know that it's very, very few, very, very few, and that your age group, now I take it you're in that age group, is considered to be quite safe. Yes, I know, but you know, I'm just the way I feel, we really haven't got a choice. They make you sign a permission form, you know, to take this vaccine, any of the vaccines. Yeah. But we ha- we haven't got a choice. We're told if we don't take it, we're put back to the back of the queue. What if you got the COVID then? What can you do about that? We have nobody to turn to, you know, to help us. And have you had an appointment yet? No, um, I didn't get an appointment yet, but I registered for one. Will you take it? I don't know. I'm terrified of it. Yeah. I actually can't sleep or even the fear of it. Did you say to Fergal that you think you, you think the government are taking a chance? Well, I think the government are taking a chance on our lives. You know, I think they're using us as guinea pigs. You know, first when it came out, they said it wasn't suitable for the over 60s. Yes. And then all of a sudden they changed their mind and I rang up and asked them, you know, what could I do about it? They said nothing. You go back to the back of the line to the under 16s. Yeah. And I feel, you know, the government are like Hitler now, forcing us into putting something into our bodies that we're terrified of. Yeah, yeah. And are you losing a bit of sleep about it, I hear? I'm not sleeping. I'm not eating. I was depressed. I'm locked in for 12 months. Mm-hmm. And now I just feel, you know... And have you an underlying condition, Breda? Well, I have um, touch of COPD oh. and... You have to mind yourself with that. Yeah. Yeah. And have you talked to your doctor about it? What did they... I spoke to my doctor and he tells me there's zero 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 point four but there's no one telling me you know, go You're afraid you'll be that zero zero point four. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And I mean I have five children and Yeah. You you probably have a bigger chance of getting very sick if you got the COVID though, you know that, don't you? Oh I do, I understand that. But I'm just saying you know, if you're in state over it and, you know, there's nobody, they're, they're actually forcing it into us, really. But they're not giving us a choice. Yes, yes. And that's what, and that's the bit that annoys you. You'd like to be able to ask for, say, Pfizer, would you? I'd love to be able to go down, you know, on my family. Now, I know they're older than me. They all got their Pfizer one and they have no problems and they're getting on. But, you know, when Michal Martin came out and saying, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel... I feel there's none for me. I'm terrified of this thing. I know, I know. Well, you know what, Breda, the scientists and all the doctors, they all tell us that in your case, the chances of anything bad happening to you were really, really tiny. Really tiny, do you know? Yes, I know. But, um, you know, when the Johnson & Johnson one came out and there was, was there one? Six they, out of... Six yeah. out of... So six, many. Six and a half million, yeah. Yeah, that was stopped straight away. 
Yeah. But they're pumping the... I can't even say it. AstraZeneca, <laughs> yeah, sure. You're, you're very worried about it. Well, I, I am shaking over it. Yeah, well, you know, when the appointment comes, I don't know what you're going to do. It'll be your own decision, but you, I suppose you're... I'm going to go to the news now, Rita, but I suppose you're talking to those around you, are you? Yeah, sorry? Are you talking to those around you about... Oh, I am, I am. But, you know, I'm... It won't, if when I do go for the vaccine, it won't be my choice, really, because if I don't take it, what happens to me then? Do I go back to... The back your, of the queue, I know. Back of the queue, and I maybe know. you have the risk of picking up the COVID and be locked in. I know. Brida, I'm going to leave okay, it there because the clock you. is against me, but thank you very much for that call, and I think you're one of many, but just we're just waiting for someone to start the conversation. <laughs> The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Oh, it looks like Breda might have lit the match that sparks the flame because lots of response to her. Margaret says, I agree with your caller. People in the age of 65 and 69 now being forced to take this Astra vaccine. We're being told everything is safe for our age group, but in the back of our minds, we are scared. I'm taking the vaccine, says this caller. I have had COVID, as of all my family. PJ is giving the worst case scenario when talking about getting sick with COVID. That lady on the phone with him shouldn't be in a place where she isn't sleeping at night with worry. But, but she is, and there is the problem. She, she is worried about the... And it is an infinitesimally small chance that something bad will happen to you when you get an AstraZeneca vaccine. It is a really, really, really small chance. And the more opportunities we have to say that, the better. Kathleen, I'm going for a vaccine today. I'm petrified. I'm petrified of COVID too. And I feel, though, I have no choice. I understand the risk is very small, but that's no good to you if you're the one it hits. And I feel they're only learning about it as they go along. And there'll be something else next. I just wish I could have Pfizer. And I think everybody does want Pfizer because we've all met people now at this stage who've had their Pfizer. My my mom's had her two Pfizers now and she's bulletproof. Like, she feels bulletproof. And many other people like that have had their two Pfizers and they feel like they're gold-plated, that, you know, COVID will just bounce off them. And and, and that's a great way to, to, to be feeling. And... They want us all to feel that way, and everybody wants to feel that way. But we keep coming back to the science of this. The chances of something bad happening to you with AstraZeneca are very, very, very small. Speaking of vaccines, coming back to our conversation with Colin Bork yesterday and with John Campbell on Friday, and the fact that Colin Bork took such an interest in what John Campbell was saying about actually how you inject a vaccine. I just had a message this morning from Deputy Bork to tell me that the Health Committee in the Oireachtas is sitting today and that he intends to raise the issue of what John Campbell has been saying. And that meeting of the committee is being attended by Karina Butler, the head of the Immunisation Committee. Oh, it's been moved now to, to half three. Thanks for that. New information. New information. Uh, half three, the committee is meeting, and he'll be raising the issue with uh, Professor Butler from NIAC. 
and Cullum Henry, the, Dr. Cullum Henry from HSC. So we'll see where that goes. We will certainly see where that goes. 1850-715-996. Now, I want to talk a little bit about cheating. Uh, men, women, men and women both cheat. It happens all the time. It's something that I guess it's something everybody fears that their partner will cheat on them. And sometimes it happens, sometimes it happens. And sometimes you can go over it and sometimes you can't. But then some people cheat again and again and again. And there are serial cheats out there. Is it a way that you're made? Is it just something that's, I don't know, you you have it within you that you will cheat? What is it? Let's talk to psychologist Sylvia McCarthy. Sylvia, good morning to you. Good morning. Are, Are there people who just do this habitually? from time to time? Well, cheating is the ultimate relationship violation and one of the most notorious relationship killers. And not all affairs are created equal. Some of those relationships are brief, others are longer affairs. Could you get a small bit closer to your phone, Sylvia, if you would, please? Uh, Can you hear me better now? That's a bit better, yeah, thanks. Okay. Um, Men have always been more likely than women to cheat or at least um, to report having done so. However, researchers have noticed a shift in recent years. 16% of adults, about 20% of men and 13% of women, report they've had sex with someone other than their spouse while married. But among adults under 30 who have never been married, 11% of women report having committed infidelity as opposed to 10% of men. Also, growing number of sites enabling married people to have an affair may indicate people can cheat more easily these days. Yeah. Is it something that happens in a majority or a minority of relationships? It's hard to get a um, definite answer to that if it's in a majority or, or, or minority relationships. It depends, um, you know, nobody starts a relationship with an intention to cheat. So uh, it's really important to look at your relationship and what is causing you to um, start a relationship outside of your um, primary relationship. People cheat because of anger, maybe to seek revenge after an argument. People cheat uh, because of lack of love. Maybe they fall out of love with their partner, but not prepared to leave the relationship. Or they don't feel loved by their partner. Low commitment low self-esteem, maybe they want to feel better about themselves. Mm. Also, maybe because of the need for variety, sexual desire, maybe their primary uh, partner is no longer satisfactory, Mm. or maybe the partner lost interest in the intimate relationship. There are also other drivers, such as neglect, where the primary partner is emotionally distant, or a situation, for example, oh, you know, I was drunk, I, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. People cheat not only to fulfill their sexual needs, but people do that also because they want to feel the passion, they want to feel alive, and they want to be wanted. Yeah. yeah. Is it something that someone who's going to cheat, do they just fall into it? You know, as if it's there in front of them all of a sudden, or, or is there some kind of subconscious way that they're looking for it? 
Um, again, it is it is uh, about the quality of the relationship. If people are satisfied, if people are happy with their relationships, I don't think there is a need for them to seek um, extra commitment outside of their primary relationship. But uh, cheating is really the last uh, symptom of something bad going on in the relationship. And maybe people don't see it or they don't want to see that their relationship is not as good as it's supposed to be. Because as I said, nobody starts a relationship with an intention to cheat, you know? How bad the relationship has to be for somebody to actually uh, involve themselves in an affair? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I suppose it can happen once to, to anyone, um, but... <sighs> Afterwards, then, it can happen again and again and again. Why does it happen repeatedly, do you think? Again, there is no straight answer to that. Um, like, is it an addiction? Is it the thrill of the chase or what? Well, I, I, I would be very reluctant to perceive people who invo- are involved in an affair as some kind of predators. There are certain group of people who may be prone to repeated cheating. For example, people with sexual addiction. But if they notice, if they recognize in themselves they have an intense need for sex, it is important to seek professional help. And that is not only the intense need for sex with another person, but that might be also excessive pornography viewing and also excessive autoerotism. Mm. Addiction itself is not really about the act itself because we have different types of addiction. But addiction is about that gratifying feelings we bring on when or shortly after committing that act. So it might be actually the need for that great feeling that involvement with another person give up. Mm. Are people who, who cheat, are, are they aware of the hurt that it will cause if they're found out or do they just put that to the back of their mind do they not even think about it Uh, I guess it's different for different people but uh, affair hurts both sides it's not only the the partner who has been cheating on is hurt but the person who is cheating is, is hurt in a way as well because again what are the reasons for them to actually get involved in an affair what are they not getting in the relationship that they are looking for outside of the relationship so there is a hurt on both sides but it's a different type of pain I guess Mm. supposing people get caught and they put the thing they try to put the thing behind them like is it better to just deal with it Put it behind you and move on. Is that enough or do you need to do more? You know, there is no one right way to deal with an infidelity in a relationship. Again, it depends on the level of commitment. It depends on the level and the skills of communication between the partners. You know, the loss of the envisioned relationship can cause intense rage, jealousy and sadness. It raises also many questions. Should I stay? Will things ever be the same? 
people have different ways of, of dealing with infidelity. I think it would be recommended and it might be beneficial for many couples who experienced infidelity to seek professional help. Mm. The line between innocent flirtation and a romantic betrayal is often fluid. And many couples face conflict because partners don't share the same definition of cheating. For some, anything short of sexual contact with someone else is acceptable. For others, any attention towards a potential rival is unforgivable. So that is important moment for partners to consider, whether they have shared meaning of the relationship and boundaries. Mm. Infidelity, the affair in a relationship, may help them to pause think and discuss their outlook on life. What are their values? Do they have common values? Where, do, where are the differences? Mm. When a partner is caught cheating or confesses to it, you know, it not always necessarily means that's the, the end of the relationship. One of the key factors determining whether a relationship can survive is whether the affair included emotional attachment as well as the physical one. So this is go back to the shared meaning of a betrayal of infidelity. Uh, infidelity might be also important message about the partnership itself, as I mentioned earlier, unhappiness, frustration. Yeah. Perhaps the partners didn't want to see that there was anything bad going on because everybody's got everybody's caught up in the daily, you know, duties, responsibilities, children, work, and so on, so on. So there is no time to really look at the relationship itself. Yeah. And uh, to decide whether to end your relationship after an affair, I think it's important to ask yourself three questions. Would you want to be committed to your partner? if you trusted them again? Have you let go of your anger and resentment about your partner's betrayal? And are you able to move forward? So basically, if we agree to move forward, we don't bring it up with subsequent arguments. Yes. Then you forgive your partner for their actions. And definitely that is the ground for work on the relationship. But I think it's, it's important to remember that rebuilding trust and learning to love again. It's a slow process. Yeah. There's two things that I wanted to come back to there, Sylvia. One is, let's take a fictional couple, Tom and Mary. Mm-hmm. And Tom has an affair. Um, are you suggesting, Sylvia, that Mary should look at herself and ask why he did it? Or does that matter? Uh, I, I would be reluctant to putting a blame on each uh, on 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 Mary or or Tom, sorry, because it is important to look at the relationship and to ask Mary, okay, how do I feel in that relationship, and speak to Tom, you know, what are the reasons? Maybe Tom feels neglected or not attracted. Maybe they don't talk to each other. Maybe they're not responsive to each other's needs. Yes. It's not only about one person. The relationship is between two people. And we need to look at the relationship. So the relationship it's, itself was flawed, not one side or other of it. Uh, listen, everybody's different. And everybody brings into the relationship their own values, their own behaviors. You know, they all history. So it's not only one person. And it is important, and from kind of my experience, people forget that it, 
to actually work on a relationship and keep that spark alive. We forget that we are no longer, we forget about the fact that we are still men and a woman in a relationship. Despite of the fact that we might have children, we might have other responsibilities, the life goes on and so on. Mm-hmm. But that connection, that original connection that, you know, got, got us together, very often is lost. Yes. The emotional connection is lost. The sexual connection is lost between the partners. But at the end of the day, every man, every woman, they still have their needs. But if they are unable to rebuild that connection, if they are unable to talk about their needs, they might resort to to, to an affair. You also mentioned that, you know, if if it happens, you you try to deal with it, you you, you get past it as best you can, but you try never again to bring it up. Now, one of the relate one of the, the, the it happens in relationships. And I'm sure listeners will nod their heads here, Sylvie, and I'm sure you know yourself. Every argument that you'll have for the rest of your lives, and couples argue all the time, but every argument you'll have for the rest of your lives, the affair will be thrown into the middle of it. You got to yeah. try and avoid that, don't you? Um. First of all, I think it's important to work on the problem. I don't think it's a good idea to forget about it and move on because infidelity and affair hurts both people, both, both partners. And if those emotions and those feelings are not addressed, they will be boiling up, boiling up over years, over years. And that will be the cause for the partners to bring it up. So it is beneficial and I would... Um, Uh, recommend uh, seeking professional help because there are couple therapies who can help to get through. But it is very important to identify the root cause of the affair and make amendments in the relationship and help to change the relationship to a satisfactory level. And of course, during the therapeutic process, there are different agreements that we we will not be bringing up. It is about the understanding why the person did it, what was missing in my relationship that pushed my partner uh, to an affair. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it is important to address those, those, those emotions, those feelings. And once those emotions and feelings are addressed and there is understanding, I would like to believe that event would, would not be brought up in the future arguments. Okay, okay. It always is difficult, but Sylvia, thank you very much for your time this morning. Sylvia McCarthy is a psychologist. It's a difficult topic. It's very emotive. Everybody has their own view on it, Megs says on Twitter. Each to their own. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Before I draw another man on me, good Lord, one is more than enough. <laughs> Thanks, Max. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. MV Alta has been down there in Ballycotton for well over a year now, ever since Storm Dennis deposited it there on the coast at Ballycotton. And people are going down to look at it, obviously, all the time become an unfortunate tourist attraction but of late there are videos floating around on TikTok of people on it, exploring it and doing silly things on board and we're warned, everyone is told look at it, you know if you must go out in a small boat and look at it, do you must look at it from the coast, do obviously take your photographs, but don't go near it, and now people are going on board and uh, Sinn Féin TD, Pat Buckley, is very concerned about this and going to bring it up in the doll because, Pat, it's dangerous, isn't it? Good morning. Good morning, PJ, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, and I mean, I think you described it well. That I, <laughs> she arrived on our shores, you know, it wasn't planned, the MV Alta. But certainly, as you said there, look, there's no problem with people have viewing it or going up in small boats and having a look at it. Unfortunately, even though it's an eyesore, it is a kind of an attraction at the moment. And of course, unfortunately... Curiosity gets the, the better of people, and especially in COVID lockdown, people have more time on their hands. And we know this, the ship is actually breaking up as it stands. So it's extremely dangerous. And we're just urging people, you know, if you want to enjoy what we'd call a wreck or just the story behind it, certainly do. But don't be going up onto the, the actual ship itself, because God only knows what would happen on that. And it is treacherous and it is extremely dangerous. Yeah, I watched a couple of videos this morning and like it, you, 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 typical, like people think they're doing no harm, they're only on board the old ship making a video, but you don't know what panel is rusted to bits. You could injure yourself or worse still, something could happen to cause the blaster thing to fall over. Absolutely. And I mean, and that does sound like an exaggeration, but these, no. it's very delicately poised out there, as we've heard before. It is, it is. And I mean, you can see even from, I've, I've seen one or two of those videos now as well. And you can see even the condition of where the actual boat is resting on the rocks there. The power off the water there from the Atlantic Ocean. Um, it, it is very, very precarious. And as we're just urging people, I mean, look, if you want to go down and say, you know, say that you were there, say that you saw it, get your photographs, that's fine. But certainly be urging people not to go on board. Mm. Because, I mean, as you said, it's extremely precarious. You don't know. We don't even know how old that boat is. Yeah. But even looking from the videos, you can see it's pretty well rusted. And as far as I know, that the back end of that is already after parting. So it is very, very fragile. Are there any plans, Pat? And I'm sure this is something you can ask in the house when you get your opportunity. Are there any plans to actually do something about it? Or is it just going to sit there and go rotten? Uh, as far as I know, well, we've been, I've been asking a number of questions on it because we know that, in fairness to Cork County Council, the hazardous waste and stuff that was on it and diesel, old diesel and oil and stuff has been removed. I know they got grant money for that. 
and fair play to him. Um, but certainly I've had the discussion only recently about it, that because it's in so much bad condition and ruin now, that the possibility of floating it and taking it out is is not going to happen. Oh, it's a false bits if they move it. Yeah. So basically what they were talking about is getting one of these floating cranes. Yeah. But again, it's money. And it's this week we were just going to see, it, would there be any, you know, even European money? Because we've no idea who owns it. We've no money. idea who to, you can't, like, to no. bill for its removal. There's no one to Absolutely. bill for its removal. Yeah, it's, and I mean, it's certainly well nicknamed the ghost ship for that reason, you know. Yeah. That is definitely a point there. But I mean, to me, it's, it's, while it's a story that's happening and has evolved at the moment, it's also an awful blot and the coastline down in Ballycotton. And Ballycotton is blessed with the beauty that they have down there and the potential. And, you know, I do think, I mean, when we're trying to promote tourism in this country, because we have the scenery, we have the walks, we have the beautiful people, maybe not so much guaranteed with the weather, but we should be trying to make the best of it. And we'll certainly be raising it this week and saying, look, we need to get this blot away. And anyway, it is getting dangerous now. So there's a major issue of health and safety now as well, and God forbid... Yeah, we don't want to be having that. this conversation, Pat, no, on no, a Monday morning not. after some young fella has had a bad fall yeah, or absolutely worse. And to, oh, absolutely, and I, I, you can even picture that, you know. And, and look, people are, I suppose, have a right to be curious as well, and I suppose it's an adventure for some, but it's a very dangerous adventure. And as I said again, we urge caution on it. If you, you want to enjoy it, but please stay stay off it. Yeah, there is such a position, um, Mrs. Tom, somewhere within, I presume, the Department of the Marine, exists a role for a minister or a junior minister in response for wreckage, literally a minister for wreckage. Well, I suppose you could certainly have a department within the department. Yeah. Definitely for so, that. Someone in the Department of the Marine has to be responsible for shipwrecks. Yeah, you would, think, you would think, wouldn't you? Well, I, I, you would imagine so, but certainly when when it comes to... It's bad enough as being an eyesore, but when it comes to a health and safety issue, yeah. it should be acted on immediately. Health and safety authority or someone like that, yeah. Yeah, and unfortunately sometimes they expect the county councils to do all the heavy lifting with extremely limited resources, yeah. either financial or physically. And I mean, there should be a common sense approach here that you can work from Cork County Council back up to the department, department, probably with the assistance. If they didn't have enough assistance, go to Europe, yeah. get assistance and get rid of it now before somebody does get hurt. All right, Peeve there, Pat. Thank you. Pat Buckley, Sinn Féin TD for Cork East on the latest developments with the MV Alta. When it arrived after Storm Dennis... Just over a year ago, we all thought, well, that won't be there for very long. Someone will do something about it. The owners will take it away. Who are the owners? No one knows. Nobody knows. And it's sitting there with no one. You can't send a bill to anybody for moving it. It's it's ugly. It's rotten. It's rusty. It's fallen to bits. And it is deadly, deadly dangerous. And people are going on board and they are making videos and someone's going to get hurt. And we don't want to be here some Monday morning in summertime after there's been a rescue down there and someone has been badly hurt or worse. 1850 A few other bits and pieces coming in. Yeah, on uh, lockdown and cycling clubs, I wonder, PJ, could you confirm for me if cycling clubs are allowed to meet up 
I know it's outdoors, but I don't think so yet. But they're all over the place for the last few weekends. I came across around 15 of them on Sunday on a back road. They wouldn't move into single file, and I was trying to overtake them for ages. They'd no respect for other road users and nearly caused an accident. Well, level five or no level five, they shouldn't be doing that. But what is the situation? Are cycling groups allowed meet up now at this stage of level five? The answer to which is I do not know. Found out something actually, and we'll discuss this later in the programme. Do you know the way you might have a caravan in Onihinsha or Gary Vaux or Yall, as thousands of people do, and they spend an awful lot of time there every spring and summer and sometimes right into the autumn, and it's a lovely way to spend your weekends if you have that, or even your summer holidays if that's what you have. I thought that when the five-kilometre limit was lifted, that, well, you could go to Onahinsha to your caravan and stay there, but you can't, apparently. You can't. It's been clarified. We checked with the Guardian Yall, for example, and you can't actually go to your mobile home just yet. That's coming up after the 11 o'clock. We're going to discuss that a little bit further. 1850-715-996. Some more of the things that, you know, give you that little win to start the day. John says, every morning I wake up, my guardian angel is by my side. Long may it last. When I get an itch in my back that I can actually reach and scratch. Yeah. When I remember to feed all the useless small change into the self-service checkout. When I find money in a coat that I haven't put on for ages. Oh, yeah, I remember doing that. That happened to me actually one Saturday night a couple of years ago now. I was actually getting out to get the bus. I was coming into town. to when we, Remember when we could do that Saturday night to get the bus into town, meet your friend for a couple of points? Do you remember that? I put on a jacket. It was a cold, really cold night. I hadn't put the same coat on for a while. And... I put my hands into the pockets and what's inside in it? Only a 50 spot. And I thought, job! That's the night sorted. Top of that for a win. Actually, my second win, I'll, I'll hold on for a while. My second, my second win is connected to the biggest talking point in sport at the moment. That's just a hint. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. Imelda May has announced Irish dates for her Made to Love tour in support of her highly anticipated new album, 11 Past the Hour. Imelda returns to Cork in 2022 to play two shows at Cork Opera House on May 9th and 10th and you can check out corkoperahouse.ie for ticket information. Access all areas. With words by Evan Boland and directed by Gary Hines, Boland's Journey of a Poet is a new theatrical performance exploring the mind and imagination of one of Ireland's great poets. Performed by Siobhan Cullen, this world premiere production can be live streamed from theeverymancork.com on Thursday, April 22nd to 24th. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled 
show coming up or any live streamed events by emailing us here at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Cork's 96FM. Also getting lots of calls in about beaches or areas around the county where there are public toilets and some of them are in bad nick, some of them are open, some of them are closed, some of them are in good nick. I'll get to more of those. We've flooded them since nine o'clock. Also, I'm not very happy with some of the response I'm seeing on social media to poor old Breda, who was on before 10. She's very worried about getting the AstraZeneca vaccine. If she had her choice, she'd prefer to get Pfizer. And no matter how much you tell her that, look, the chances of anything bad happening to her are infinitesimally small. Like they're needle in a haystack type, type stuff for anything to happen to her. She's frightened. And and a lot of people are calling her conspiracy theorists and calling her this and calling her that. She's just frightened. And she's allowed to be frightened. Maybe she's unnecessarily frightened, but that when she's when you're frightened, the last thing you need is someone telling you that it's unnecessary. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Brilliant idea reading about this in the Echo that we could start building housing on the water around our harbour. We have a perfect opportunity to deal with our housing crisis in the city by building housing on the water. It's an old Viking idea. Simon Jennings from Urban Riggers. Tell me about it. Good morning. Good morning, Peter. Thanks for having me on. What is this about? It looks like I saw the pictures. Literally building houses on the water. Yes. Um, well, Denmark, like Dublin and like Cork, is a large urban area which had major housing pressures for affordable and available accommodation. Those were the two challenges. Mm. So they looked to the sea. So essentially the system is a concrete barge with a modular housing system, but it can have other applications. Right. Now what's modular housing then? Essentially it is upscaling containers. They're used as a framework. But I think the best example most people would know would be the water house that was on um, great, uh, grand designs in Northern Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you build your either, Yeah. You have a unit, a floating unit, and that contains a basement, which would be the shared laundry, uh, a community centre, really. The Danes are very much into this concept of creating communities. It's their concept of Higa, and I hope I pronounced that properly. So a house is not just a hope and not a place to stay, not a place to sleep. It's also a sense of community and belonging. So that's that's a central value to the core design. Right. So clearly having one of the biggest natural harbours in the world, we could probably accommodate an awful lot of this. Well, yes, Cork is the, it has a unique opportunity. And uh, Cork has some of the most underutilised water frontage I've seen in Europe. And I have lived in a fair few places. In the Netherlands, this concept of a floating house, we have to get out of the idea of thinking about houseboats. These are actual apartments. Right. Those are actually quite sought-after dwellings because they're fully detached. Uh, this system is similar, but it's more designed for um, multiple occupancy. Yeah, because I was thinking apartments. that like, houseboats are common enough. 
you'd see an awful lot of them even in the UK. You see people living on houseboats in part of London, parts of London. These are not houseboats. This is a permanent structure. Yes, well, it's it's a floating structure, but yeah. it is more like an, it's the more you see an apartment, a standard apartment. Yeah. How much do they cost? Well, that depends. It depends on um, location. It depends on what is the final finish. The current ones are designed to a Scandinavian standards, so they would be on the, you know, they'd be. But it is always within uh, similar costings to uh, normal apartments in terms of construction. Right. However, using water uh, takes out the, the land associated costs. Yes. So essentially, course. it is it is going to be cheaper than a brick and a brick and uh, cement. Uh, apartment. At the same time, it is modular, so you can have a range of uses and a range of prices. And how are they heated and how are they lit? Well, this is where they really come into their own. Um, They are incredibly energy efficient and uh, virtually carbon neutral. The heating in hot water is provided by geothermal pumps within the structure itself, so that gives you 75% of your energy. Right. Uh, in terms of heating and water, and 95% of heat loss is actually regained from the ventilation system. The ventilation system, it being a modular system, is complex, right. and it does take up a bit of space. However, that said, it does increase to really good fire right. safety standards, which would be at maritime level as opposed you're, to You're, you're talking effectively passive houses. Essentially. Almost entirely passive. But, uh, yeah, and they also, they have solar panels integrated in the system, so of that energy taken in, only about 12% is used to run the geothermal pumps. Right. The rest is used to pump energy back into the grid. Okay. And do they generate their own electricity or do they come in from the grid? Like, obviously, something's got to be there to plug yes, in the kettle in the morning, you know? Yes, but I mean, the, the power is, they are connected by power to the shore. Of course. These yeah. are not out in the harbour. You walk ashore, you come on board through a, a bridge or a gangway. I see. And that provides power, but the power is also, excess power generated by the units is put back into the system. Right. Now, the Danes and the Scandinavians in general, but they are very, very good at this. And, and you mentioned Copenhagen, and there's some fabulous pictures and videos available of these kind of floating houses. How realistic is it to do it here? It's a question of determination. Um, in Ireland, we have a sort of an adamantine sense of land and building. Yeah. So what we have to do is look at something alternative, to be brave. Um, it's just a question of the will. All they need is space. Yeah. So we have been locked in this thing for the last 10 years where we keep doing the same thing in terms of our development and our housing and expecting a different result. Yes, yes. It doesn't work. So this is a, a, an innovative, a new way of looking at things. It will free up spaces, but it will encourage movement on the market, I would believe. Yes. Um, and of course, coming into a, an area where we only recently had the announcement from the Taoiseach of, of massive yes. amounts of money being committed to the Docklands project. The Docklands looks like a real opportunity to do this. Absolutely, but in other locations in Cork City as well. These can be bought right up to the city centre itself. Oh, could they? Um, so basically, of Vian in Vian, you know, if there's not a way, we have to make one. It's just determination and the right sort of leadership and the right decision makers. Yeah. Interesting, interesting topic of conversation. Simon, thank you very much. That's Simon Jennings. Uh, you'll see these. There's some brilliant pictures and videos on urbanrigger.com. And the idea is that they build apartments, self-contained little modular units on these huge floating concrete platforms.
What a way to, what a great way to live at the, by the water, particularly for, imagine, actually imagine living on one of these things, down say at the mouth of the harbour or down there near the docklands, and imagine that your bedroom window faces east and every morning you get that gorgeous sunrise that comes down into the city. Wouldn't that be cool? That'd be so cool. You'd have seen that fabulous story. A small move by a little flying object, but a huge move for science. A bit like the old thing years ago, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. This was one tiny flight for a little helicopter, a little remote-controlled helicopter on the surface of the planet Mars. And the whole scientific community is hopping up and down with excitement about it. Space correspondent Leo Enright's with me on the opinion line. Leo, good morning. Good morning. It is one tiny flight, but one massive leap forward at the same time. What are we talking about here? Well, this, uh, this helicopter, this uh, tiny little drone, some people like to call it, um, really does represent a, a new leap in technology on the surface of Mars because the problem with Mars is that its atmosphere is very, very thin. And when I say it's very, very thin, I mean really thin. Uh, about 1% of that on Earth. About You'd have to go three times higher than Mount Everest uh, to find the same air density on this planet. So we don't fly at that altitude here on Earth. The planes don't go that high. Um, so they had to develop an entirely new technology uh, to fly in these conditions. And that in itself was an extraordinary achievement. Now, it only went about 10 feet into the air and down again. But that was the culmination of many, many, many years' work. Exactly, exactly, yes. I mean, it, it went about that, you know, basically from the floor to the ceiling of your living room and, and back again. Um, it, it was a very small demonstration. On Thursday, they'll do pretty much the same thing, uh, maybe move a little bit side to side when they're at, uh, at uh, three metres. Uh, and then as uh, the weeks progress, uh, they will venture further and further afield. They have about uh, three weeks in which to complete their flight tests, then they're finished, and the huge rover, the size of a large family car, uh, will, will head off uh, into the hills. Yeah, the, the drone itself is called Ingenuity, and like a world first, I, I, it is the first powered and controlled flight by an aircraft on another world. Like, that's... That's the st- kind of stuff we, we dreamed about when we watched Star Trek as kids. Yeah, Ginny, they call her. <laughs> her friends call her Ginny. Hmm. Uh, she was, uh, she's actually flying on the Wright Brothers Field, is the name of the area uh, ah. that, where, she is, where she is currently placed, which, of course, is a reference to the Wright Brothers' first flight uh, back in 1903. Uh, and amazingly, they, they got hold of a tiny piece of fabric about the size of a postage stamp from the original Wright Brothers flyer, uh, and they stuck it uh, onto this helicopter. So uh, one senior NASA person uh, made the interesting suggestion that someday uh, an astronaut, and uh, he or she could be listening to us today, uh, because there's no doubt that the people who are going to walk on Mars are already alive. Many of them are already in college. 
but uh, she suggests that maybe uh, a future astronaut on Mars might pick up this helicopter, bring it back to Earth, and put it on display beside the original Wright Flyer, which is a great idea. Wouldn't that be something else? Wouldn't... How much does all this cost, Leo? Well, now, this is a demonstration, uh, a technology demonstration. So it's relatively modest in cost compared to what you would pay for, for instance, the billion-dollar rover uh, that brought it to Mars. And this, this thing is relatively modest. They used off-the-shelf technology, so uh, the microchips that were used to control it are, are roughly the same microchips uh, that you and I would have in our mobile phones. Right. Uh, but, but in fact, and I, I thought this was an extraordinary uh, detail, um, this little helicopter, it's about the size of the bread bin in my kitchen, just right. to give you an idea of its size. This little rover has more computing power packed inside than all of the space missions that the Americans have ever sent to another planet combined. <gasps> wow. That's phenomenal. There's a reason for that. Um, The first is that because it's a demonstration, a technology demonstration, they're not risking a billion dollars. So they're prepared to use new technologies that they wouldn't otherwise risk in the uh, harsh environment of space. The second reason it is so powerful is because it's not like your remote-controlled drone here on Earth. Uh, where you move a joystick and the thing moves around. This thing has to be pre-programmed a day in advance. The instructions are sent to the big rover, the uh, Perseverance rover, which then transmits the instructions to the little helicopter, which is about 100 meters away. Um, The helicopter then waits till midday on Mars, when the Earth has set, so we, we can't see this from Earth because the Earth is below the horizon. At midday on Mars, the helicopter does all of this. It takes off, does its flying around, lands completely autonomously. Wow. Uh, and in addition to flying around and, and landing, it also uses its computing power to look out for rocks to make sure that it doesn't land on a rock and tip over. It's fantastic technology. Thank you very much, as always, explaining it so clearly. Leo Enright, space correspondent on the Opinion Line on Quarks 96 FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Do you know, the more I think about poor Breda, who we were talking to before 10 this morning, the more sorry I feel for her. Breda is one of these people in that age bracket who can get the AstraZeneca vaccine, but she's frightened. She's frightened by it. She's losing sleep over it. She's registered, but she hasn't got an appointment yet, but she doesn't know what to do because she says if she wants to wait for Pfizer, she could be waiting because she'll go to the back of the queue. And she felt very upset and very worried about it. I felt sorry for her because people who are in that kind of a worried state right now, half it is down to the nonsense on social media. Now, maybe she's not on social media. I don't know. But half it is down to the nonsense that they're hearing. 
Listen to fact. Listen to science. Listen to real commentators and read real newspapers. And don't be bothered, your Barney, listening to fools who are telling you, uh, you know, tinfoil hat stuff. Uh, the, the, the chances of anything happening to Breda or anyone like her, uh, if she gets her AstraZeneca, are infinitesimally small. And she's scared because of all the nonsense that's out there. I felt very sorry for her. Just coming back to Simon Jennings, we were talking to about those fascinating idea from modular houses floating in Cork Harbour. <laughs> Someone says here, imagine waking up in a different part of Cork every morning if you were living in those apartments. Now, it doesn't quite work like that. They're sitting on the water, but they do actually, they are actually attached to the side. So it's not a case of this morning I live in Passage and tomorrow I've moved up. <laughs> it doesn't happen like that. But but yeah, urbanrigger.com, urbanrigger.com. If you want to see more photographs and videos of how this stuff works, it's absolutely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Uh, I got my first COVID vaccination in the middle of March. The gap is supposed to be three weeks, but I've had no contact for a second date. I've called the GP a few times now, but all I get is no news. Is anyone else in this position? Well, we're looking into that. If it was Pfizer, you should have been done again in three to four weeks. Moderna is something similar, but six weeks, I think. Um, AstraZeneca is 12 weeks at the moment. But if it was Pfizer, you should be getting it again within three to four weeks. 1850-715-996. I said I'd tell you because we're doing it this morning and I want to know the thing that, you know, is your little win, your little victory, the thing that makes you, the thing that makes this a nicer day, the things that makes this a nice day, just an ordinary day becomes a special day. Like there's no, you can spend 10 minutes, an opportunity to spend 10 minutes with your dog. Or your cat. That'll brighten up your day. Or someone is randomly kind to you. That's actually after happened to me today. Um, I mentioned the biggest sports story in the world. That's the European Super League. And that's like, again, leading news bulletins in Britain at the moment. But <laughs> my friend Finbar uh, put the thing into my WhatsApp a couple of days ago. A mug. And I laughed. And I said, yeah, that's about the story of my life as a Spurs fan so wasn't he arrived this morning to 96FM with this in a little bag for me as a belated birthday present my birthday's in January but he arrives with this as a late birthday present it's a mug I'll put up a picture in a while it says the mug says I support Spurs <laughs> and this is the only cup I'll be getting this year but thank you Finn Thank you. 1850 Now, I mentioned earlier on, you might have thought that when the 5K was done away with a week or two ago now, that lots of people would be able to head off to their caravan in Yall or their mobile home in Gary Vaux or their mobile home caravan in Onehinsha because you can now go anywhere in the county. I thought that would be the case. But it's not. Charlie, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing, bud? Good. You have a place in, in Gary Vaux? No, no, in Garrettstown. Well, Garrettstown, I beg your pardon. Beg your pardon. Go ahead. Yeah, Garrettstown. Right. Yeah. Now, uh, going on last year, we didn't open until the 29th of June. And what strikes me, we don't know at the moment when it's going to open again, but what strikes me uh, kind of unfairly is that... Uh, 
whereas the AstraZeneca, or sorry, the uh, Pfizer, the the vaccines coming out are very, very good. I can't understand why uh, our mobile, any mobile home can actually not open. Uh, when you look at the statistics on it, a mobile home park, an official one, mm. uh, takes control of the site. Yeah. Uh, each mobile home is nine metres, I think, statutory between one another. Yeah. Um, and it's in a controlled environment. I was down checking on my mobile last weekend and it was great to see all the calls. And when I say all the calls, I mean a lot of people on both beaches yeah. in Garrettstone within the, the limits of the, of the, uh, the mileage. Um, but there was 46 camper vans along. Yeah. So, so you can go down and I know, I know where the, the park is in, in Garrettstown and it's a brilliantly run park oh, and the yeah. people have vans there for years and they've deck yeah. and they've barbecues it's fabulous it really is and if you get a bit of weather it's gorgeous but you actually can't go down now say friday when you finish work charlie you can't go down and the weekend forecast is nice you can't go down and stay in your van i can go down but i can't stay why not because it, the, the, it's that part of the hospitality uh, rule, I suppose. Mm. Um, you, you can't go into a hotel. Even though a hotel, in all fairness, is a controlled environment. Yeah, yeah. but you also you don't know, own a hotel room. You own your van and you pay heavily for it as well. Very heavily. But in saying that, last year, no, uh, we're in Garrett's Townhouse. Last year, we got compensation from, we got an extra month and we were going to Good. get an extra month this year. In April, normally we'd open in May, but unfortunately that didn't happen. But our our, our mobile home site and owner was very was very uh, fair to us. Yeah, and no, we still can't access it. Yeah, even though so they're not allowed. They're not allowed to let you stay, which is and then you're watching all of these camper vans. Tell me about those. Yeah, and if they're if they're a meter apart from other BJ, they're a lot. No, don't get me wrong. Where did you I'm see them? Where did knocking, you see? I'm not knocking the the camper vans that are down there on the beach. They got out in the sun, you know, uh, but I mean, if I'm having a barbecue on my deck, the guy next to me, uh, he's on his other deck and we're probably 20 metres apart from one another. Yeah. So I cannot, I just for the life of me cannot understand the logic in why the mobile home parks could not open in yeah. a controlled environment. Yet, yet all you're saying that down on the strand... All of the camper vans are there, and they're you come along and yeah. you have. You, we all know what a camper van is. You come and you go. They can come and go as they please. Are they allowed to stay over, or are um, they just well, doing they it? Have, there have been some staying over. Uh, in, well, there, there, there was a, a guard a car over the weekend. No disrespect to the guards, but there was a passed by and went up and down and patrolled. Uh, they did nothing, and uh, I suppose in, their hands are tied too. But bottom line is I cannot access my mobile home even though I'm in a controlled environment. And last year as well I point out that the owner of, of Garrison House, he made a point of not allowing caravan uh, camper vans or tenters into the site yeah. because of the residents. So he left residents when he, when he was allowed to, he left residents in only yeah. and that was it. How, how long have you got the place down there Charlie? Uh, 25 years this year. 
yeah, yeah. It's one of those places that's been there forever, isn't it? You, and someone yeah. almost has to die before you can get in or out. They're closed shops, but they're oh, really... Oh, unbelievable. Yeah. And as well as that, I mean, like, I live in Carrigaline. Right. But the, the amount of people, I must know at least a dozen families. Yeah, yeah. Would, and Garrison isn't far away. Yeah. But they have mobile homes on that side. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a huge thing. I forgot Garrett's done. I was explaining to to Terry here this morning where all the big sites were and I forgot Garrett's town there's Gary Vaud Kelly's and Gary Vaud is legendary and then they have a couple of Mignol and the big ones down yeah. in Tossie's place down in Onahinsha like people go there for months on end weekend on weekend and I and I did think that when the 5k was gone that that would be okay but it's not that's what I thought too but apparently it's 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 like the hotels moment which again I support. I would support the hotels in the sense that it's a controlled environment. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're looking after the residents that come into the place as best as they possibly can within the rules. Yes, and that's what all mobile park owners are doing. Yeah, and even and more when you think about the science too. You mentioned being out on on your deck, and your neighbour is maybe ten meters away. But we're now told as well that when you're doing that, you're out the back, you're out out your deck, facing out to sea, doing your bit of barbecue, having your bottle yeah. of beer as you do, reading your book. We're now told that the chances of getting COVID in that circumstance are infinitesimally small. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, BJ. <laughs> In fact, you've a lot better. You've a lot more chance of spreading this in a camper van. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it, be, it beggars belief in a sense. Um, it does actually. It, it does. does. Yeah, uh, but I just thought I had to make that point. Get it on air. Uh, maybe uh, Mihal might listen to you. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Well, look. You know, we have to take account of what the public health doctors tell us and and all Absolutely. of that. But but Absolutely. at the same time, it does seem a little bit bizarre that you can go down. You can clean out the van. You could go down. Tell me something. Could you go down for an afternoon and sit out and enjoy your the, the afternoon in the sunshine? But you can't stay over. I would believe that would be okay because I've been down there uh, tidying things up and posing down the deck and stuff like that yeah. all day. And in fairness to the owner, he doesn't mind at all. Right, right. But he cannot let us stay. That's funny. That really is strange. All right, Charlie, thanks very much. Uh, well, I, I hope it, I hope it won't be too long before you can because, you know, it's it's great. I used to do, I, I mentioned Gary Vaux and, and Kelly's and they have a huge family atmosphere down there. And a couple of summers, I was invited down there to play their midsummer their midsummer barbecue and like when you have a family group and everyone knows each other they're brilliant yeah. places they're just All brilliant right. fabulous absolutely absolutely alright Charlie take care of yourself thanks ever so much 1850 god I missed that I did that a few years I did that for a couple of years there was a, a, a guy who used to book me to go down to DJ on the back of a truck or a van down in the in Kelly's in, in Gary Vaux and like there was no limit you could play there till 3 or 4 in the morning and some fellow would arrive in we'd run out of food they'd run out of food <laughs> and someone would arrive in off a boat at 1 o'clock in the morning and he'd get a couple of mackerel and throw them up on a ah listen lads brilliant brilliant and when you get the weather you could be anywhere problem is you don't get the weather often enough I suppose but that's a bizarre one you can take a camper van now and you can drive it down to Garrettstown Beach or you can drive it to wherever, Court Mac or Yall or you name it, Onahinsha. And you can pack up and you can spend the night and no one will send you home. 
but if you have a caravan, you can't stay the night. 1850-715-996. Talking earlier this morning about the public toilets at Hall Bolin. Was it Angela? was first out of the traps this morning. Yeah, Angela was on with me just after nine and she was saying that the new park in Hull Bolin is lovely and she went down for the walk and, of course, a big crowd and there's a coffee shop and she was saying how wonderful it is to see kids playing and people just out and enjoying themselves in the open air. But when it came to answer nature's call, well, the door was locked. So we've been on to County Council and the Executive Research Desk sent them an email and they have responded. And they say additional works are required on the public toilets at Holbolin Public Park before they can be opened. The contractor responsible for carrying out this work is currently closed in line with COVID public health guidelines but will complete the necessary work once the restrictions have been lifted. Once this work is completed, the toilets will be open to the public. There is an explanation of sorts. 1850-715-996. On houseboats or living on the water, I, I love that, the person who thinks that these floating houses would be in passage one morning you'd be over in Glenbrook the next it doesn't work like that it doesn't work like that but it's a funny image it's an image I'll have in my head now for the rest of the day where are we this morning love I don't know where's the sun coming from hi PJ I wanted to bring in a barge from Holland and turn it into a houseboat I was told you can't do that this is the working harbour and we couldn't allow it there's no room in the harbour for that imagine a vibrant houseboat community in the largest natural harbour in the Northern Hemisphere. That'd be too progressive, of course. God above tonight, if any other country had the beautiful, expansive harbour that we are blessed with in Cork, they'd be doing something constructive. And that's from Rasper. And Rasper, I couldn't agree more. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairymaid Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. My first ever festival, you guys took me there. I met Lewis Quali. My favourite thing about going to Indy that time was obviously meeting Lewis Capaldi, but it was the toasted sandwiches. I didn't care about anything else. We can never tell the likes of Lewis Capaldi or Wild Youth that a toasted sandwich outdid them. By a mile. Oh, we are some crack at a festival. Oh, yeah. Lorraine and Demi. Lorraine and Demi. Live. Live. Why would a person want to listen to our show? Because I'm here. I mean, why would a person want to listen don't, to our show? Don't do that. <laughs> Lorraine and Demi. Live. Saturdays, 2 to 6 p.m. With Popsicle, Castle Street, Winthrop Street and the English Market, Cork City. The home of mouth-watering, ice-cool, handcrafted gourmet popsicles. See popsicle.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Lots of other things you can do or that can happen that make your day a little bit better. The one about finding money that you didn't know you had that's lovely or you come home after a hard day and someone hands you a home the other half puts up a home cooked meal in front of you that's something that I never never cease to appreciate that that you get a home cooked meal of an evening uh, it's just lovely and it's it's the thing and I never 
personally I would never finish my food put my knife and fork on the plate and push it away from my head saying that was lovely thank you it's just the effort that goes into it that's a really nice thing another thing um, when you're up and you've had your shower and you're halfway down your second mug of coffee before anyone else is awake I love that one and in these bright mornings, something I love to do is open the door because we've got one of these kitchen doors. It opens right out onto our deck. And on a bright morning, I'll sit out there with the with the first or the second cup of coffee and that little moment of peace in the early morning. You can't put a price on it. 1850-715-996. Here's an odd story from the world of, of all things. Ice cream. Did you know sometimes when you buy ice cream in a gelato shop that it may have compressed air in it to make it look fluffy and bubbly and creamy and all of that. But there's a campaign on now in in, in Italy, the home of the gelato, uh, to ban it. To actually ban putting air into the ice cream. Now you might wonder, is that a really big, important thing? But ice cream is a massive industry. Uh, Andrea Bonato, we've talked before, has Casanova Gelato on George's Key. Andrea, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Thank you for having me. How are you? Delighted to talk to you again. It's been a little while. Um, yeah. the, the, the whole science behind gelato or artisan ice cream, where, where does the air come into it? Uh, actually, air is one of the ingredients to make uh, ice cream or gelato. Because, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, like you made a whipped cream, you know, you just agitate the cream. Yes. And you are increasing the volume of the cream and you have a whipped cream. It's air inside the cream that make it fluffy. I see. Okay. So it's, a, it's, an, it's an ingredient, actually. Mm. You need a certain amount of air in your product to have uh, the smoothness uh, and the softness of uh, the product. Uh, the difference between uh, an artisan gelato and an industrial ice cream is also the amount of air that you have in your product. Right. I mean, in uh, a good quality gelato or a good quality ice cream as well, uh, because there are many artisan uh, Irish Irish. Irish artisan that make ice cream, very good ice cream here, uh, the amount of uh, air can be between the 20% to 35% roughly. Right. In an industrial one, you can have 80% of 100% of air in your product. Uh-huh. I mean, if you buy a liter of ice cream at the supermarket, you can have uh, half kilos of product in your packaging, you know. Really? And how would you know if you gave me two spoons of ice cream, Andrea? How would I know that there was a lot of air in one and not a lot of air in the other? Um, if uh, the density, if you want, okay? The texture, is if, it? If the texture, exactly, the density. For example, when you eat a 99, yes. you feel it's really, really smooth. Uh, the texture is very light in yes. texture. Sometimes it's a little bit greasy because uh, one thing that increase the air of the product uh, are the fats, protein mm. and fats in the, the gelato and yeah. in the ice cream. Uh, so basically you can feel it 
when you eat it. Very creamy, is it? Is very, very, yeah. Yeah, okay. If you have something that uh, you feel in your mouth and not just uh, gone. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Because sometimes, I, and I've noticed this, I've said it over the years, like, to take the 99, which is yeah. something we all love to have. I, oh, yeah. I love to have a bit of... A bit of bite in the ice cream, as in, it, I, I don't like it when it's over creamy. Exactly. Um, I like a bit of body in the ice cream, do you know? Exactly, just exactly, the, the, right, uh, raw, uh, the right word is body, or uh, can be uh, chewed, if you want, you know? Yeah, you, you can, can feel something, it. it doesn't just melt exactly. the minute it hits your tongue, like, yeah, I like exactly. that, and, and so the one that's really creamy has more air in it. Usually, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. what's the right way, Andrea? Is it more or less? Depends on the product. You can't have a, a 99 or a soft uh, ice cream uh, with a, le- a little amount of air because mm-hmm. otherwise you can have the structure. It's not that. Mm. So, it's different product, actually. Uh, the industry, that because the big fight that you spoke about, it was... Uh, artisanal gelato against uh, versus uh, the industrial one. Yeah. In industry do it to have a cheaper product. Mm. I mean... Just more they, air, less ice cream. Yeah. There's more ice in the ice cream. Also, the air help uh, to keep uh, frozen. It's like um, make an isolation, insulation gotcha. in the product. Okay. So okay. It, there's many things, uh, many technical reasons to have more air, less air, more fat, more proteins, uh, more sugar, less sugar. Uh, mm. is, uh, balancing the recipes, uh, as you say before, is a, a science. It's a whole science. Yeah. And you know yeah. the way you pass an ice cream, a gelato and a shop, and you have the tubs in the yeah. front, and you know the blue one and the pink one and the yellow one. Do you know the way it sometimes looks like there's like it's puffed up? Is that more air in it? Um, or is that just the way it's been scooped? You mean the the the, the prepacked one? The surface of it, the, yeah, yeah. In the uh, you mean in the, the cabinet ones. that we serve? Or in the cabinet, pre-packed? yeah. You, yeah. Uh, the, the prepacked, you know, it depends because, for example, Hagendat, if I remember well, has no so much air inside mm-hmm. as in industrial one. They choose uh, that way, and actually, is is good. <laughs> it's a good product, you know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it, it, it depends. Uh, you can even uh, wait with your hand and understand. If you go to the supermarket uh, and take uh, uh, one package of a cheap one, mm. a cheaper one, and another one more expensive, you probably you can feel or your hand or just turn and uh, look the the label because right. uh, they should uh, write. Uh, would one be heavier than the other? Would two boxes be this, the same size? Two cartons the same size? Would one be heavier than the other? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And the better one is the heavier one? In my taste, yeah. In the other yeah. one, you don't have so much flavor because, or to have more flavor on this, you have uh, add more flavoring. I see. You know? I see. I see. Because you have to push the flavor with something else to have the, the, the taste. Totally different matter, Andrea. Someone on the phone wants me to ask you, are there any salty ice creams? I'd love to try one. Uh, yeah, there is. Um, 
our pistachio is salty because we add some salt uh, in our pistachio. Yeah. We do salted caramel, for example. That's very popular uh, at the moment. Yeah. Um, there are as well uh, some gastro gelato. It means uh, made some savory ingredients like uh, tomato, uh, pepper, something like that. I've seen those and I've been afraid yeah. to try them, Andrea, but I've seen yeah. them. The, uh, the, I was on holidays in Spain a couple of years ago and there's this massive ice cream ice cream shop and all different types and they had a savory section. Like, yeah. And I was, af- I was afraid in my life to try it, but yeah. it's just another kind of ice cream, I guess. Yeah, when you taste that, it's not, uh, are not really salty, okay, are just not uh, sweet. Uh, yes. Even my pistachio is sweet, but at the end you can feel the salt because you can't use so much salt in that. Uh, there, is, uh, there are some kind of sugars that are, are not so sweet, and so you can use uh, that to balance a bit. But yeah, you can feel uh, not the taste of uh, chocolate, for example, uh, or the sweet of the, 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 the product, you can feel uh, the, the savory. Mm, some guys do with oyster, for example, some fishes. Crikey. Yeah, there's a... Uh, I suppose you can... Usually, are, uh, they made uh, that uh, flavors uh, to match with some uh, other dishes. I see. You know? So, I I, for example, uh, uh, stick with a s- ice cream sauce. No, you can wow. melt your ice cream on your stick and eat it. This, wow. this could be an idea, you know. Yeah, uh, it's it's such a fantastic industry, yeah. and it's great to have people like you in it here in Cork. That thing that's happening in Italy is going to have no effect on our ice creams here, is it? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Italy is a great country, but it's a bit messy. It's <laughs> something <laughs> when we are speaking of low bureaucracy, whatever. Um, this proposal, because uh, it's just a proposal at the moment, it's not a law, uh, has something good, but there is something bad. Yeah. Uh, something that has to be reviewed. Um, Sometime, any, I know, every four or five years, uh, there's a politician supported from a group of uh, artisans that propose a new law. Yeah for gelato but never happened because there are so many different ideas different way to make this Uh, uh, you have to it comes up someone someone comes up with an idea every few years but it it never really amounts to anything is is what I think you're saying Andrea listen always great to talk to you and continue to do the wonderful work that you do at Casanova Gelato on George's Key Thank you, Andrea. So there's nothing really going to happen out of that thing, that row in Italy. You're reading about it in the papers, but there's nothing going to happen out of it, really. Unless the EU took a took a fit and decided to pass it. I and mean, it won't happen. And just on the air in the ice cream, I finally realised now, and there's so many places, it's so hard to get one now. But I used to love the, the 99 that was a little bit hard. Do you know, some 99s now, it's like a scoop of cream turn cold. You know those ones? They're real soft. I don't like them. I love the one. They used to have at the old garage up there in Balavalan, up where the Supermax is now. The older garage there used to do an ice cream cone and it was like that really hard, icy ice cream. 
and and I got a message. Thanks, Callie. I got a message on Instagram the other day from Callie, Callie, who said to me, uh, "They're doing it in Mace in in um, in Balavihan. They're doing the icy ice cream, which is great." Actually, another piece of trivia, and listen, if you remember nothing today, you might remember this: the process of putting air into the ice cream to puff it up, as it were. Would you have any idea who did that or who invented that process when she was working as an industrial chemist? Would you? She had been a grocer's daughter in her young days and she went to college and she did chemistry and she became an industrial chemist. And then she went on to be Prime Minister. Her name was Margaret Thatcher. Now there's something you didn't know that you didn't know. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Rita really started a conversation this morning uh, when I spoke to her briefly before 10 about her worries with regard to the AstraZeneca vaccine. And I was doing my best to gently reassure her, look, you know, the chances of anything bad happening to you are just minute. They're microscopic. But you can see why she's she's still worried. I feel so sorry for this woman speaking at the moment about her concerns. I feel she's right to have concerns. I would too. Thank you. And I'm glad someone is speaking up about those concerns. She's very brave. I suffer from anxiety. I've decided not to take the vaccine. I don't understand medicine. I never had to. I was never in a position where I had to choose if I take a drug that a lot of other countries have their doubts about and some have rejected completely. I'm raging with the government for just dumping this problem onto us. I'm crying myself to sleep at night. I worry about either catching COVID or having a reaction to the vaccine. Well, caller, the only thing I will say to you there is your chances of catching COVID-19 and your chances of being very sick from COVID-19 are millions of times more, millions of times more, particularly depending on your age, than they are of having a bad reaction to the AstraZeneca vaccine. There's more. I made a moral choice not to accept this somehow forced Astra vaccine. I'm too scared. I can't sleep thinking of the side effects. I'm glad someone has opened a conversation about it. But Morris says, Hi PJ, I got the Astra vaccine two weeks ago. I have underlying issues, so I was a bit concerned. I was reading a lot of the anti-vax stuff, but now I'm glad I got it. Tell Breda, don't let fear rule her. Go and get it. Now, anything that's been said here, I would not say for a second, is anti-vax. Anti-vaxxers are just idiots. They really are idiots, and I wouldn't give them the time of day. But someone like Brida, who's worried because she's reading stuff and she's hearing stuff and she's seeing stuff. She's worried and, and, and I understand her worries. PJ, every single medicine or vaccine that exists has side effects. Some very mild, some very serious. This AstraZeneca vaccine is no different. Brida is probably on meds for her COPD. It too will have a long list of side effects which she's never experienced. All GPs have a thick manual on their desks 
listing the side effects of all existing meds. Yet we take them because the consequences of not doing so are so much worse. So the likelihood of Breda being that one person in one odd million is practically non-existent. Her COPD in combination with COVID might be fatal. She needs that vaccine. I totally agree with that lady. I'm 60. I don't want to take it. I've had two family members who died of clots. Now, not from vaccines, but I feel I shouldn't have to take it. I also feel the government don't actually care about people in this age group. It's as if we don't matter. Take it or go to the end of the line and wait to see what will happen. It's not okay to give it to older people or younger, but try it on the 60 plus. They don't matter. Thanks for airing this. And last one on this. For now, Leo Varadkar should be ashamed of himself for treating people who are unsure about taking the AstraZeneca. The Fine Gael party should have him removed if they want to gain some bit of support from the people. And on vaccine booking vaccines, Michael, I don't have an email. I tried five times to register for the COVID vaccine, but every time they cut you off after two and a half minutes without getting on to any kind of a human being or getting the chance to register or even leave a message. This is a joke. A few more on cheaters. I'll get, I'll get to them because we've been back to Sylvia with, with one of them. Why can't they just put in portable toilets in Holbolin for now, asks Lily. Uh, and the little things that make your day. My youngest son came into the kitchen this morning and gave me a hug. It was half six. I thought it was strange, so when I looked in his bedroom, he was fast asleep. That was a good start to the day from Donal O'Connor. Lots of people getting in touch with us now to reassure Breda that everything will be okay and that she should go and get her vaccine when it's offered to her. Anne says, I'm 59. I had the AstraZeneca vaccine. I have a lot of underlying medical issues. I'm fine. I just had a mild headache. Don't worry, Breda. Uh, and lots more people. And this one says, I'm just up getting my vaccine in the City Hall. I have to say, I never saw anything so well organised. They were so nice and so reassuring, which is great to see. Thanks. Because that thing's been set up now for weeks on end and people were wondering, was it ever going to actually be operating? It is operating now. And by all accounts, working very well. Thanks for that. 1850-715-996. Ethna Kavanagh is our last contributor today. I think, Ethna, all but one anyway. Ethna, good morning to you. Good morning, BJ. How are you? Good. You've set up a charity called Just Basics. Why? That's right. Um, it's an idea I've had for a few years. And I, to be honest, I just really came up with the idea that because I seem to be coming across more and more stories where there were kids and adults who just had a complete lack of basic supplies and I then was in one of, I was in the Caroline Family uh, Support Centre mm. a few years ago and I was talking to one of the volunteers there and one of the things that they said to me, they loved the idea because they said one of the gaps in the welfare system is if they go for a welfare check um, their checking is their food in the press is there, you know, are these, you know, you're homed, you have electricity on, but you'll come across, and they said, especially teenagers, for example, who don't have shampoo, they don't have deodorant, they're calling into a friend's house to use the bathroom because they're not sure that there'll be toilet paper at home. And people are making cuts to these things because you have to pay an electricity bill to keep the lights on. Yeah. Whereas, and it's these sad stories that are, 
absolutely get into That's me. That's the hidden poverty, isn't it, Edna? Exactly. And people are making sacrifices for, like, obviously, if it was me and I had a choice between paying my rent and getting what some would call as luxuries as deodorant, you're going to pay your rent, you know? And mm. that's the situation that people are are in. And with COVID, so I've sat on the idea just because I just literally haven't had the time myself. And during COVID, it broke my heart hearing more and more of these stories, like, for example, people going without food because they normally got their food in school, for example. Yes. You know? And one of the things that, you know, when charities say at Christmas and they do these food hampers, like, obviously, we want to make sure people have food. But, you know, we forget how basic it is to have shampoo. Yeah. yeah to so have a face cloth. Yeah. You know? You're on Instagram. Uh, uh, yeah. And and you have a GoFundMe. So how can people find out more if they want to, to help you? So, yeah, what they can do is just on Instagram or Facebook, it's just basic 2021. Um, I have a GoFundMe set up, but then I've actually had some really great support from, like, um, Avelio Healthcare sent me 150 shampoos of their Calcin Brilliant. tea tree shampoo. Unbelievable. They sent me hand sanitizer. I've got calculators, like unbelievable stuff. And I have like this one lady who found me on Instagram herself and her grandmother got together. They sent me down two packages and it had plasters, sanitary products. Such a simple toothpaste. thing. And that's what I'm telling people. If you're going into Lidl, pick up an extra pack of plasters. Okay. I'm taking donations of the actual items as well. But as, I just want to say that what they are, it's going to cater for those who are zero to 25 years old. Okay. They're going to be um, put out by numerous different charities. The Rainbow Club in Mahon, for example, they're going to take a bunch off me. Good. And everything's going to be in a backpack. Okay. So, right. that it's so, not, so I, I've got to get one more item yeah. in. So very quickly, it's, it's uh, just, just basics. basics, not 25 on Instagram. And then there's a GoFundMe and all the information is on the gram. I was looking at it this morning. You've, you've got a list of what you need and pictures of what you need and all that. And I wish you well with it. Sorry, our time is tight because I do want to get to Noel. Good luck with that. Uh, the back baller is something we had in this studio when we could have things in this studio a couple of years ago. It's, it takes foam rolling to a whole new level and it's for your easing of your back and massaging your back. And the man behind it is Corkman Noel Marshall. And you're not going to tell us how you did on Dragon's Den, are you, Noel? Good morning. Not allowed, TJ. Not allowed. If I know you, if I know you, you, you pushed them and pushed them until they had no option. But you, you've upgraded the back baller now to the body baller. Well, they, it's an, another product, an addition. It's an additional product, TJ. It's a bigger version of it uh, that will be more suited for gyms and clubs. Etc. It's um, what we've done. I suppose we find some older people, especially they've they're restricted in terms of getting up and down from the floor. So um, we've we've taken that away by putting the rollers up onto a frame, and you can literally set up onto it. There's a handle overhead, hold onto that, and you've complete control um, in terms of getting. Um, because we all benefit from uh, rolling out and kneading into the muscles and uh, getting getting the tension released. Because the so, back baller has uh, been a massive uh, success for you, hasn't it? Yeah, we've sixty thousand sold, um, used by you know most of all top level clubs and um, football clubs, anyway, especially even NFL clubs and the states use it. Uh, 
yeah, we've yeah, so it's it's been it's going really well, PJ indeed. So we're just kicking on now and building off it back of the success, yeah. And when but, is uh, the Dragon's Den episode on so we can see how you did? Thursday evening at eight PM BBC one. All right. Okay. And you had to pitch and to see for see could you get investment to take you to the next level. Thanks, Noel. Quick hit with him there. Uh, Noel Marshall, inventor of the back baller. Inventor actually years ago of a thing called the bricky and now the body baller. Uh, Corkman on Dragon's Den this week on BBC. Before we go with a question on cheating, we had Sylvia on talking about the whole psychology of cheating earlier on this morning. We got this message. I'm a serial cheater. I used to think I did it to preserve my relationship with my husband, that I was happy with everything apart from our love life. But I have been thinking, and now I think I am not happy with our marriage, but I don't have the courage to end it. I think after listening to that woman, I'm having the affair to blow up our marriage. I think you don't even really look at the motivation of what you're doing when you're doing it, which is an interesting one. So we got back on to Sylvia, who adds a very, very strict disclaimer. This is not a psychological consultation, but she says your caller is right that sometimes we don't know the reasons. It's an emotional, not a rational decision. The lady clearly isn't happy in her marriage. It may not be that she doesn't have the courage to end it. She could be looking for a way to bring this to her husband's attention. She may still not be fully aware of her motivation. Maybe she knows a decision needs to be made, but doesn't want the responsibility. There are a lot of different layers to this but thank you for coming back to us on that one Sylvia before I go have a thought today of Hildegund the saint who isn't a saint died in 1188 today's her day she was a German woman but she lived her entire life under the name Joseph designed or sorry disguised as a monk a male monk in a monastery and today is her feast day even though she isn't a saint at all. Her father took her on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land when she was 12 and disguised her as a boy for her protection. Uh, Her dad died on the way back and she then moved into a monastery where she grew up and everyone called her Joseph. But her name was Hildegund and today is her day. The things you learn. That's it. The program edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Have a nice day. See you tomorrow just after nine. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.